If you love Reader's Digress, and we know that you do because you're listening right now, then we have another podcast for you to check out, the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Do you struggle to choose your next read or want to know more about the origins of a book when you're finished with it? Then this podcast is for you. Host Cindy Burnett interviews authors about their books, spoiler free, and asks insightful and unique questions about everything from the things she loved about a particular book to what they are reading. Join her at least twice a week to find your next great read. You can find her wherever you listen, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Welcome to Reader's Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction books so that you don't have to, unless you want to. I'm Kate Kiriakou. And I'm Molly Fox. And today we're talking about the book Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close by Aminatu So and Anne Friedman, Woohoo! who are a best friend duo who also host a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend. But we hate that podcast because they're competitors with us. How dare they do the thing we're doing 10 years before we thought of doing it? How dare they be our predecessors? Anyway, yeah, uh, I have admittedly not really listened to Call Me call, call me By Your Girlfriend. Call Me By Your Name, Girlfriend. <laughs> what is it? Call Your Call Your Girlfriend. Call Me By Your Girlfriend's Name. <laughs> okay yeah admittedly i have never listened to call your girlfriend i listened to like maybe one episode uh but they just seemed like cool people so i was like Mm -hmm. i'd be interested in this book sure i have listened to a few i used to listen more regularly and i get bored with things and i eventually cycle out of them so i haven't listened in a while but i always loved Aminatu's voice. It's so soothing Mm, and engaging. And I really did love the conversations they had. Yeah. I listened to one where they interviewed a guest. So I wonder if maybe I didn't get the greatest experience of that because they weren't having a direct conversation with one another very much. Mm -hmm. So I should go back and listen to another episode and see if I like it. Yeah. I think the one of the other reasons I probably paused with it was because they talk a lot about like current events and things and eventually i will get to a point of just being like i know how terrible the world and politics and being a human being is and i just like can't talk about it right now (laughs) yeah i just need to pretend it's not that way for a little bit yeah like i just want to listen to a fun story or whatever Two lovely women talk about books or something. I mean, that's ideal. (laughs) Two beautiful (laughs) tropical fish. Two immaculate, perfect women (laughs) talking about books. (laughs) Indescribably, incandescently beautiful women. FYI. Supermodel slash genii. (laughs) Um, And with that, maybe we should actually start talking about the book we said we were going to talk about. Because we can also read. Can you believe it? We're this beautiful and this smart. All of our listeners just passed out because they were so (laughs) taken with us. They're so mouthy. I know. They've already turned it off. So now it's just you and I alone. (laughs) Um, So today, as Molly mentions, we are talking about big friendship, how we keep each other close by Aminatu So and Anne Friedman. Aminatu and Anne are the podcasts of the popular podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, where they become known for their honest and intimate conversations. This book is equal parts the story of their relationship and a manifesto on what it takes to navigate a meaningful friendship. They define big friendship as a robust and significant bond that transcends life phases, geographic locations, and emotional shifts. They describe the beginning of a friendship, the spark that unites you in the phase of obsession that inevitably follows. Then they define the phases of a friendship and the work it takes to keep one. These phases include becoming one another's chosen family, supporting each other to achieve your goals, stretching to keep your friendship, and mixing your friend groups in a friend web. They also discuss common friendship strains through their own experiences as long-time, long-distance best friends. 
Their friendship has survived chronic illness, cross-country moves, financial shifting situations, and more, but not without issue. The book's final chapters discussed a low period of their friendship when they thought their relationship might be over and how they overcame it. P.S. The answer is always therapy. (laughs) Uh, So that is what I have for our summary. I love that. That was really good. So I'll go through my key takeaway. I have two, but I think they kind of relate to each other. Um, And they don't need to be like hashed out that much. So the first one that really kept coming up to me as I read this book was that there is so much that we don't tell each other. Mm. Like good things, but specifically like the bad things, you know, as much Mm -hmm. as like, and I mean, we, as in the general, we not just you and I, but also like even between you and I, as close as we are and as much of our lives as we do share with each other and as consistently as we communicate, There is so much about our lives and the things we're experiencing that we don't articulate to each other. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. But when you start thinking about all those experiences that you aren't expressing, it makes sense how pain can grow in those gaps. Because, Mm, of you know, you had this experience and I didn't think of it that way or vice versa. And it really hurt. And then you don't express it and there's never a chance mm-hmm. to like resolve it. But I, I understand why people don't say things sometimes. And it's not even like a conscious choice. It's just like when you look back at the landscape of your friendship, you can see all of these things that happened between you, but were never really talked about. And mm-hmm. I think most of the time it's fine, but I can see how it can make things go south. Yeah, I also think that's a good point to bring up because I think the reason why people don't talk about it often is because they would rather let the friendship die. Mm -hmm. And that's what tends to happen more often than friends talking through something and coming out stronger on the other side is that they just say they grew apart, right? Or they're different people now or somebody moves or there's, there's some sort of shift that you're not willing to work through to keep that person in your life. And then they just sort of like fade away. But a lot of times I think the impetus for that starts long before the shift happens. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you're talking about of just like perhaps a long simmering resentment or just, you know, unheard feelings or who knows what else. Yeah. And then the impetus that is like a lifetime change, like somebody Mm -hmm. moves or something like that then is kind of the cover-up yeah. for just not having to be vulnerable with one another and actually work through it. Yeah, it's like finally the excuse that you wanted to no longer participate in the relationship. Yeah. And the second part of my takeaway was that it is hard to know when to share the things that have hurt and when to let them go. And mm, yeah, I think for me, when I look at different periods in my friendships where I was upset about something that I correlated to that person or that relationship in many of those instances when I've had distance from it I can tell that I was angry or hurt about that thing because of another circumstance in my life or I was like jealous about a thing or something and it wasn't because of anything really going wrong in that friendship it was more other things going wrong in my life and Mm. so in those instances it makes me wonder like would talking about that have even helped because it was like not it really didn't have that much to do with that person even though in my mind I kind of like fixated on that with them in Mm -hmm. so obviously talking about things is good and important but on the other hand I wonder like I think relationships in order to survive you do have to know when to not talk about these things Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You can't constantly be harping on any grievance in a friendship either and just kind of be nagging about things because I think there has to be a recognition that the other person is hopefully doing things without intending to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like constantly bringing things up that you maybe haven't worked through and processed yourself as to whether or not they're a big deal within the relationship Mm -hmm. that you can sort of create cracks even more so. Yeah. um, That you didn't mean to. 
Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, if I had a friend who was constantly verbalizing to me, like, every little thing I did that kind of they weren't sure about or maybe rubbed them the wrong way or that I didn't react the way they wanted me to or whatever, it would be like, I can't take this much negative feedback. Yeah, and I think there would be a presumption, for me at least, that you don't that you you don't presume me to be unintentionally hurting you, but rather just not even considering you or something. Yeah. And that I think that that insinuation would be hurtful too. Well, and I think that gets to the nuance of it too, where recognizing if you're approaching your friends with the benefit of the doubt, where if it's a good, strong mm-hmm. friendship, I think you should. Yeah, yeah. Then you have to be able to recognize the difference between something someone did that was truly insensitive and like you probably need to address with them. And something that's just an aspect of their personality where the way they communicate with you isn't always the thing that you are looking for or need. And it's more on you to like, like I have a friend who I know not to talk about a very specific topic with, or I kind of just like avoid it because I know her reaction is not going to be helpful to me, even though she is meaning to be. So it's really on me to just not talk to her about that thing. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Because as I was reading this, they both talk about the many friends that they have. And I think they say many times throughout the book that no big friendship is the same. But I Mm. think they never explicitly say that it's okay to get some things from one big friendship and other things from another big friendship. Yeah. And we can't constantly just be relying on one person to be the only support system in our life or something like that, Um, whether that's a partner or a family member or a friend. And so I, I don't think they ever kind of say that, but that's something that I feel in my friendships is like, I don't expect one person to be the person I go to about every single problem in my life yeah. because I think that's pretty unreasonable to expect out of anyone. Yeah. And I feel like we've talked about this before that like you mm-hmm. are ultimately first and foremost responsible for meeting your own needs and mm-hmm. any time that you begin to rely on another person to meet a need that you are telling yourself you can't meet for yourself. I think that there's a misalignment in what your expectations of friendship are versus what is actually possible. So should I do my key takeaway? So mine is a little bit of a cop out because it's actually a quote too. I love it. (laughs) Um, But I'm, I'm adding more to it. So uh, my key takeaway is that active friendships take active work. Uh, They talk about this a lot throughout the book that if you are expecting someone to be there for you and you expect to be there for them, that that takes work Mm -hmm. and it takes working through issues together and it takes effort to see each other, to talk to one another, to reach out. All of these things are work. And I think that that was something important that I took away because the older that I get and the more life changes that my friendships go through the more I recognize that it's an intentional decision to continue investing in one another again and again. Mm -hmm. And it isn't always easy, but it should feel worth it in the end. Mm -hmm. And I think they do talk about this a lot in the book that society does not support active work in friendships as much as it supports active work in family relationships or in partner relationships Mm -hmm. um and that there's an expectation that you'll work for your family members there's an expectation that you'll work for your partner Mm -hmm. but it's much more socially acceptable for you to say about a friendship well we just grew apart yeah well there's no like social or legal binding contract the way there is with like a spouse or family that we are raised to to publicly commit to there's no like pressure like you're saying to leave a friendship or to not leave a friendship you know Mm -hmm. yeah you can very easily just say like oh they were toxic or whatever and everyone's like wow so brave that you left wow beautiful beautiful right you know (laughs) there's a social infrastructure to support your family ties to support your spouse spousal ties Mm -hmm. but there isn't necessarily to support your friendships and that's something they talk about a lot throughout the book and something that I found to be very true yeah and there's lots of therapy resources for 
not that people go to therapy with their like sister or mom all the time, but you go to therapy to deal with those relationships. And that's very common. Mm -hmm. And then there's couples counseling for marital stuff or relationship stuff. But there isn't very, it's not like widely discussed to be like, yeah, I'm in therapy with my friend that I would, I've actually never heard someone say that. I know of other people who have worked on like podcasts and had businesses together who have done that. But that's not, like, anyone in my actual life who was like, yes, I'm in therapy with my friend, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that was something at the end that they didn't really talk about. They were like, hey, everyone – they kind of suggested, like, hey, everyone should go to therapy with their closest friends. And it's like, that's great if that's something that anyone could do. <laughs> to, I, right. But the truth is, is like, that's not going to happen for the vast, vast majority of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just because they don't have the motivation to do so, but a lot of people just don't have the resources, the time, the the ability to do that. And I think that's another thing to consider where it's like some friendships would probably fall apart if they tried to go to therapy together. You know, it's like... <laughs> Yeah. Unless you're at a place where you like need it in order to stay friends, I wouldn't do it because if you're doing okay, you don't need to like dig up pain just to dig it up. That causes more pain. Yes, I agree. And also I think that a lot of times they talk about in the book, there's no point in bringing up things that weren't that big of a deal. But ultimately what you learned from reading their story is that it was all of the things that quote unquote weren't that big of a deal yeah. that ended up amounting to something that was identifiable and a cycle that they kept falling into and mm-hmm. why they kept hurting one another. So it feels very difficult to differentiate what is the big stuff and what is the small stuff because ultimately if it's your personalities driving the small stuff, mm-hmm. then that is a big thing. Yeah. And that, that becomes the big stuff. And so I don't exactly know what to do with that information. Like, I, I kind of just took it in and I'm still sort of sitting with it because I'm like, well, it, is it helpful to just to talk about things that ultimately, you know, they're a personality trait and that's just who that person is and you can just accept to love them and move forward with your relationship? Or is it worth talking about in the hopes that they would somehow change in some way. I I don't know. I'm not really sure like where I stand on it. Well, and I, I think for me, the part that makes me apprehensive about how, how you proceed to start talking about some of this stuff is the, the knowledge that talking about those things like, Oh, you do this thing that annoys me or, or this thing really doesn't work. It could be something that's kind of just their personality trait. And Mm -hmm. It, it's painful to find out that you just being yourself was annoying someone for years, you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. even if there's a part of you that kind of knows, like, you have this sense, like, I kind of do this thing and maybe it's annoying. Sometimes it's so painful and humiliating to know that the person you love was like, yeah, that is really annoying. It's like, there's some, it's so difficult to know. <laughs> It's like, I guessed that, but I didn't want it to be confirmed. Yeah, like, like, I didn't I, want it to be true. Yeah, I didn't want people to confirm that me talking too much was really irritating for them. Like, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, like, something that's coming up for me a lot, just it's been, like, a theme lately that's gotten really, like, uncomfortable, is that I think people sometimes see me as, like, angry or irritable all the time or just kind of, like, in a bad mood, which... It is kind of one of my like coping mechanisms is to be angry rather than sad because it's so much easier. And so it's like there's definitely truth to it. But the idea that people would only see that fraction of my personality and that it would be that would be my identity to them that I'm just like continually in a bad mood sucks. Yeah. It's so like oh no like that's how you think of me as a person is just like someone who's like like oscar the grouch like no i can't live with that (laughs) but then you start thinking about all the ways that you're like but this is actually just like a component of my personality like i'm always going to be a little bit of a salty person and i can't Mm -hmm. change that you know so yeah. it starts to feel overwhelming where it's like, okay, so you just don't like me. Is what you're yeah, saying. yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> I think a part of it is like draw, where to draw the line between telling a friend something because you genuinely were hurt by it and want to work through it mm-hmm. because there's 
some sort of a changeable solution versus a trait that a friend has that you just dislike. Yes. Um, Because that there's like a difference between saying like, hey, you said this really insensitive thing Mm -hmm. and you can just not say that next time rather than saying like, you always look like you're in a bad mood, like you're saying, because it's like, well, that might just be how my face looks. I don't know how to help you. Or that you don't like fashion more or what it's like, well, that can't change. That's not. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. How about quotes? I have a good one. It's just like a little fun, heartfelt. It really jumped out at me on the sticky note. I wrote your name and heart. Kate heart. So it said, This is at the beginning of the book and they're talking about how they came to know each other and feel connected to one another. And I think this described the way friendship changes you over the years really well. And I loved it. So they say, we didn't just meet each other that night. We began the process of making each other into the people we are today. Although we are self-confident enough to know that we would have been great if our paths had never converged, we cannot imagine what that alternate reality looks like it's impossible to untangle us and i think that was beautiful because it captures the way like kate you and i would have been awesome people if we'd never met but obviously (laughs) clearly look at us (laughs) look at us sweating in our bras while recording a podcast (laughs) in our respective homes being the baddest bitches (laughs) that i've ever seen in my entire life um yeah exactly (laughs) even if we hadn't met we still would have been incredible people and i feel that really confidently but now that we have met and we spent all this time together i equally feel that it is impossible to detangle us like we have become intertwined in each other's lives to the point that it would be it, it would feel like an incredible wound to lose you and mm-hmm. it's not because like I'm not self-reliant, but it's because we've become a, a different thing than we would have been if we had never met. And it, it yeah. feels like permanent in a, in a way that friendship doesn't get talked about enough, but I definitely feel that for you. Yeah. I think that I'm, I feel that way about a lot of my big friendships that, um, that, that, they helped make me into the person I am today and in ways that are sometimes identifiable and sometimes not because they become so much a part of you that you don't realize they originated with someone else. Yeah. And so it is kind of fun to look back on friendships if you're lucky enough to have ones of a decade, three decades, however long, Mm -hmm. and recognize that at some point you rubbed off on each other so much that it was hard to figure out which was each other's original traits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, it is really good. I feel so lucky that I've now gotten to know you for, it's almost 10 years. It will be in, it's like eight years now, I think. Just so wild. And that's so much of my life. That's a third of my life. And that yeah at this point clearly there's no way to know who I would be without you which I love I love that yeah yeah it is definitely like an imprint upon one another sometimes I find myself doing or saying things that a friend did or said first that I started doing because Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny or because I also love to eat that food or whatever it was and um every time I do it I and I recognize it in myself, I'll think mm-hmm. of them and smile. Yeah. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing to carry with one another, especially if you're long distance friends that mm. maybe don't get to see each other as much. Yeah. And I think there's other things that like, so 30 rock is a good example. We both love that show. And I think we, do you think they could tell? I don't <laughs> think so. We should talk about it some more. It's pretty secret. <laughs> uh, we enjoyed that separately, but because we both liked it, it's now become, I think, a much bigger part of my life than it would have if we hadn't, if you hadn't liked it too, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. Yeah. I, other people I've met have liked that show and know the quotes, but you and I were the people that constantly back and forth, always <laughs> quoting it to each other, that it, it solidified itself like in my body and in my life experiences as like canon. And that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had each other to do that with. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a sweet quote. I like that one. Uh, I have a couple of quotes. Um, I actually wanted to take a second and talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, everybody, buckle up. I'm prophetizing now. I, I can never say that word. Prophetizing. Uh, don't ask Proph- me. Prophetizing. I've only ever read it, okay? Just so I wanted to take a second and talk about a quote that I actually highlighted and sent to you and said, I feel very seen by this. <laughs> because you, it was funny because I read the quote, I highlighted it, I sent it to you, and I said, I identify with Anne here. And you sent me back a text and was like, I do not. I identify with Aminatu. And I was like, oh, interesting. We should talk about that. That would be interesting for us to unpack. Uh. Even though there's not a therapist present. (laughs) Murph is here. Um, We'll ask him to weigh in. Okay. So the quote says... But with the self-knowledge that only hindsight and therapy can bring, we have come to recognize that we are actually very different people, especially in an emotional level. We didn't notice right away because we were so focused on our story of sameness. And later, when other parts of our friendship got difficult, those deep differences blindsided us. We didn't realize that we were able to open up to each other in the early days of our friendship, despite our differences. Aminatu shares intimate details of her life only with people she believes will be close to her in the future. Anne tends to think that everyone else's problems are bigger than hers, and that can make her reluctant to go into detail about her own. But we got close anyway. We didn't consider it a risk at the time, nor did it feel like we were overcoming something difficult when we shared with each other. This feeling of safety was at the very heart of what made our friendship work. So here she's talking about the early beginning phases of their friendship and how they were so focused on how similar they were. They didn't realize that they're actually two different people and that they also have differences, particularly in their communication styles and how they process things on an emotional level. And I highlighted that because I really identify with how Anne feels, which is that she tends to think that everyone else's problems are bigger than her own and is reluctant to go into detail in her own life. Um, And I think it's really interesting because I think in my friendships, I've also tended to focus just on the sameness in the first couple years of our friendship. And then only later when I started to feel pain about our differences, did Mm -hmm. I realize Oh, right. That's because we're not actually the same person. (laughs) No matter how much I feel like we're the same person, we are in fact two different people. And this friendship is going to have some bumps in the road because we're not the same person. And we can't possibly be thinking about and feeling about this things in the exact same way all the time. Yeah, I. I don't know if I have had that experience where I've like thought about like focus on the sameness and then over time as the pain starts to happen which is inevitable then I've noticed the differences like I haven't conceptualized it in that way it's more it reminds me of this thing you said years ago we were at your old house in Columbus sitting on your couches 70s vibes my grandma's 1970s couch god what an icon (laughs) a true icon I like rest in peace (laughs) My mom got it reupholstered. It really just got a facelift. (laughs) I wish that I could have it as is in my new apartment and just be like, this is the vibe, yo. It would go really well, actually. Yes, it really would. It would be probably too big, but I'd be like, that's that's okay. It's um, it's great. Okay. So we were sitting there and we were talking about the things that break our hearts. And you Mm. said something about how if someone is in your life long enough, they're going to. Like, that just happens. And heartbreak Mm -hmm. isn't this, like, end-all, be-all thing necessarily that, like, once it happens, you're done with that person. I think – so that's kind of how I feel like I approach things more where it's, like, I know that it's inevitable that we are going to hurt each other. And I don't think of it Mm -hmm. as much as, like, because we are different people as I do just because, like, that's what happens when you're with someone for as long as you are. Like, I guess what I'm trying to describe is that it, it has never not occurred to me that the people in my life are different from me. And so when those differences cause friction, that's not the first thing that I think of as like, oh, that's right. We're different. It's more that like, oh, that's right. Life is fucking stupid and 
it doesn't work the way you want it to and people miscommunicate <laughs> and this sucks you know yeah it's more that mm-hmm. like oh yes the human experience how i hate it <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily that I, like, don't see the differences in my friendships, but just that you feel like you're similar enough that you can't imagine the differences causing that rift. Yeah. And so it's that recognition that, like, oh, our differences are so great that this is causing a problem mm. that I I always tend to be like, oh, right. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good, that's a good clarification, because that makes a lot of sense to me that like, it's, of course, we're different. But it's easy to be like, well, not that different and dismiss it until it starts to cause that like, knife of pain. And you're like, "Uh," but in fact, quite different. (laughs) Well, and I think the other thing that happens is that as you live, and you have new experiences that change you, like, say, loss or grief or whatever and the other person doesn't have yeah the other person might have hardship but they don't have the exact same experiences that creates more and more opportunities for those things to come up where they're not maybe intending to hurt you but they are because they don't lack or they lack the experience that you have that now informs Mm, who you are and so i think those things can become more pronounced over time that maybe never existed when you first met. Yeah. And sometimes those experiences that force you to become a different person aren't always that obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, sure, it's an obvious loss of a loved one or, you know, a chronic illness or something that people associate with kind of an obvious life change. Yeah. But I think a lot of times, too, we have these changes that act on us and then our friends are unaware that 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 change has occurred. And Mm -hmm. so they still continue acting like you are the same person when, in fact, they haven't even realized that you're not. And I think that can be particularly hard and something they talk about in the book as being a stretch for a friendship that sometimes one person feels like they're working really, really hard to make a friendship work and the other person isn't even aware that they're doing it. And isn't even aware that it's a strain at all. And how that can be really, really hard. Yeah. It is hard. And I think we've all probably been there in relationships that maybe didn't last or that did. And they got, like, the ship got righted over time. And it's, I think in those moments of stretching, the part that is the most difficult is not knowing if it's going to stretch till it breaks. Mm, You're hoping that you can stretch for long enough to make it to a place where that other person can start to come back towards you or something relieves that tension but you don't know you know there's always the chance that like that person will keep on asking you to stretch further and further until the tension breaks and you can't do it any longer Mm -hmm. yeah and also just not being sure if the stretch is worth it at this point yeah Sometimes, and this isn't something they addressed and is a little bit of a criticism of mine of the book, that sometimes these forces act on us and we change as people and we aren't always super compatible with one another Mm -hmm. thereafter. Mm -hmm. And I think it is okay to actually say, you know what, maybe this friendship isn't uh, my priority right now because I don't ultimately see the stretches as being worth having this person in my life in that way Mm -hmm. or that capacity anymore. Yeah, and I think we were kind of talking about this before we went online, but some people have less capacity for intense relationships, and I don't mean intense in a bad way, I just mean like deep, big friendship way, than other people, and if you are single and you have like six friends and then you meet someone and you want to start being with them romantically, you might be someone who's like, I actually don't have capacity for this person and my other six friends at the same level that we were. And, and I think we all have to make choices and then people have kids and that's another relationship that you are responsible for and that takes your energy. And I don't think that they were ungenerous, but they were talking about like, oh, you know, when you have these, you can put your friendships on the back burner and we don't think you should, which I agree, but I also don't think that there was like a ton of awareness for how impossible it is to put your like 
spouse or kids on the back burner, you know? Yeah, and I will say as somebody who's reading this, of the the two authors, neither of them have children, I think, I don't think right? so. Yeah. I'm not making that up. No, okay. So I, I don't think either of the authors have children, and I think that that's a huge perspective change of, mm-hmm. like, sometimes people really want to be there for others in their lives, but they can't because they're at capacity caring for their children and that should obviously be their priority um and so yeah i agree it wasn't it wasn't insensitive but i think that it just wasn't given the respect maybe that it needed to in this book that sometimes friendships are put on the back burner because there are actually more important relationships. Yeah. I don't know. And I think the way it's presented in the book is that putting a friendship on the back burner is a choice you don't have to make. And I don't Mm -hmm. actually think that that's always the case. Like if you have a parent who's ailing, a spouse who is overworked and two children, one of whom is having a mental health issue, you absolutely may need to make the choice to put friendships on the back burner. Like hopefully your friends are the kind of people who would step into your life and help you through that. But Mm -hmm. that might, they might be keeping the friendship going for you. Not like you made the choice to keep investing in the friendship, like while your life falls apart around you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I think there is an insinuation that if we use the investing analogy that you never run out of funds. Yeah. And I think that that's incorrect I think sometimes we do actually run out of funds, especially for those of us that feel and experience our relationships really intensely and really intimately, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, so as I was reading this book, I got the feeling that each of them had like 15 really close friends. And I kind of question that. I can't imagine it because I invest so much into the friendships that I have that the idea of adding five more really close friends. I'm like, wait, who actually has time to manage that many relationships and feelings and all of that? And then I realized that, oh, right, like maybe they don't, you know, maybe they, maybe they have a completely different idea of what a really close friendship is. And it's not one that's of a decade where you really active listen to everything that they say and you are sitting with them in their pain a lot Mm -hmm. maybe it's something that's completely different yeah and if so then that would kind of solve my question but I just like couldn't really relate to that fact of it of being like yeah I have 20 people that I can do this with and I'm like oh that's very different than how I feel Uh, yeah I agree and the way they describes or describe some of how they go about being friends in groups was very foreign to me like the whole desert ladies thing which is this like yearly trip they plan that it's like a big it started smaller with like i think 10 15 ladies and it's gotten pretty large and at one point it was like huge and i think they've pared it back down so it's like a retreat with like i don't know 25 30 women and they do it every year i think it's 50 oh my god that's so many people okay basically (laughs) the reason i'm bringing this up is because that doesn't sound fun to me that oh i know i'm so this is why we're friends though because mm-hmm. i read that and i was like Ugh. this is stressing me out so much yeah imagine like managing 50 female oh, relationships no no i will not imagine it because that sounds like <laughs> hell because <laughs> that is actually hell yeah it- it would be so draining, like not just the coordination process, going to that weekend. Oh, no, the emotions. Oh my yeah. God. It's, and this is like a weird thing that I don't think everyone will understand, but I think Kate, you will, which is that like, sometimes something is like too much fun for me where I'm like, if I went to that weekend and I was with like you and Allie and like my other people, I would have too much fun. And then the rest of my life wouldn't be worth living anymore. <laughs> shut up first of all it's an annual event so it would at least be worth living Uh, until the next year i can see doing that with like five people yeah and that's really like the max you know and that would be the most fucking fun thing but the way it's this huge production i think i just have like a different emotional expectation from my friends and for me as a friend too that like if i'm going to a weekend it's so that i can really see how you're doing yeah and it's not so that we can just like 
drink the whole time and then go home not having learned anything except for a funny story of you at the grocery store. Like, that's not why I go to see people. Yeah. It's really important to me that I go to visit people so I can look them in their eyes and see what their eyes are telling me about how their life is going. Which sounds really fucking creepy as I'm saying that. But do you you understand what I'm saying? Because it's like what we did in Denver where we sat across from each other in two chairs for 18 hours and just talked. Like, that was, like, all we did. And it was, like, perfect. I need to talk to you for several more hours, but we'll do it on the phone. Okay, bye. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Then we went home and we texted each other the whole way. That is literally kind of it where it's, like, I long-distance friendships can be really difficult because there's something that happens to you at work or whatever and you text them and you're like oh my god I have this outrageous co-worker and mm-hmm, I hate them blah mm-hmm. blah blah whatever um or like the craziest thing happened to my car and I thought it was gonna blow up or whatever <laughs> you tell like a story to each other as you're texting at least that's how my friendships work yeah but I want to know how your mom's doing yeah. you know what I mean like yes. I, I want to talk to you about how like mm-hmm. how's your mom how, yeah. how is like what is the worst thing that happened to you at work? You know, like, I want to have those conversations, mm-hmm. which I personally find really difficult to do over the phone or on Zoom or whatever. And that's why it's really important to me that I see people face to face. So that's something that I just like know about me personally. Um, but also I was last year so exhausting because I couldn't do that with anybody. Yeah. That was like off the table. So on the flip side, Long distance friendships, yes, they're difficult, but I have found that it gives me this sense of freedom to know that I could go anywhere and we would still be okay. And that really is comforting to know that I don't have to stay where I am in order to stay friends with the people I have. And if you move away from somewhere, yes, inevitably, you will probably lose touch with some of the people. But having had this experience where I have several people in my life who I have consistent long distance relationships with has taught me that it's absolutely possible to remain lifelong friends with people after you move away from a place or if they move mm-hmm. away from you, you know, it, yeah. it isn't totally dependent on proximity, nor should it yeah. be, because if it is, then you're not truly connected to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe you need to be stretching more. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, cause it's like, you could go, there is no distance away from me that you could go that it wouldn't be worth it to me to still be friends with you you know Uh, yeah no I agree I think it is like it shows the resilience of a friendship too when Mm -hmm. a life change like that happens like a geographic location change Mm -hmm. where you could very easily have just stopped being friends and you've chosen again and again to renew that commitment to one another yeah it's good I have a question okay good because mine is as always, unanswerable. (laughs) (sighs) Mine is really fun. Okay, so in the book, they talk about how people keep their friendships alive and how they continue to prioritize them for the long haul. And one of the ways that they mentioned that they've recognized that they do this and that many therapists have recognized all relationships are kept active Mm -hmm. is that they create rituals with one another. Uh, One of the examples that was given was that I don't remember which one of them has a friend that always texts them when they're flying because they know that they're scared of flying and then they reassure the other person. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you, which is that, do you have any rituals with your friends that keep you close? And do we have any rituals? Because I couldn't think of any. Great question. And as you were prefacing it, I was trying to think of some I don't think we have any that are as clear cut as the ones they described, but one that comes up in my mind when I think about like something that defines our friendship is donuts. Like Mm. it's not true that every time I eat a donut, donut. I send you a photo because that would be every day. (laughs) (laughs) Cause that would be ridiculous. Cause it'd be like three times a day. Okay. But this concept of donuts is a big one that comes up in our relationship a lot where we, I don't need to explain it to you. You just understand what they mean to mm-hmm. me. Okay. And like, we spent so much time Safety, at Buckeye Donuts. love, <laughs> comfort, romance, all of it, honestly. Deep passion. Mystery. 
<laughs> and honestly, another one that I think maybe it's not fair to say it's like a ritual, but like the process of reliving the memories of Paris and other things together is ritualistic mm. for me, and I force you to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, as you mentioned Paris, you do usually text Matt and I on every May. Oh my god, I didn't this so year. we went to yeah. Paris. Uh, That's true. Well, you didn't because we have a constant group chat now it's where yes, everyone true. is just throwing in everything at all time. Yeah. And over the anniversary, it would have it's like always the end of May, beginning of June, and I was deeply stressed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um I think for me, I don't have any specific rituals that come to mind with any of my friends. I have probably five or six long distance really good friends that I keep in contact mm-hmm. with and I can't think of any with any of them. But so one thing I do do mm-hmm. uh, with all of them is sometimes when they cross my mind or I'm thinking about them, I just send them a text and tell them that I'm thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just say like, Hey, I'm thinking about you. I missed you. I hope your day's going well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just something that I do because I want them to know that I didn't forget about them. Yeah. Even if we haven't talked in two months mm-hmm. of like, you, you're still on my mind. Mm-hmm. And even though we haven't had the chance to, you know, talk on the phone for three months, I still want you to know that I love you. And I'm, you know, mm-hmm. actively thinking about you. Yeah. I have one other that, occurred to me as you were saying that one that it's kind of like a silly thing too but once luke and i were having this conversation and for some reason i i think i sent him this photo of these two greyhounds sitting with like a cucumber on top of both of their heads (laughs) and it's just like such a goofy photo and they both look kind of scared or concerned and so now anytime he and i say like the same thing or make the same joke or like are on the exact same wavelength, which our humor is pretty similar, so it's very consistent. We send each other the photo of the cucumber dogs, or we just say <laughs> cucumber dogs, because it means, like, thinking the same thing, same wavelength, yes. cucumber dogs. So that's become, like, I guess it's more of an inside joke than a ritual, but, like, that's kind of what I yeah. think of. It's like, what are the things that mean something to you that you use to remind the person that you remember who you are and what your friendship means to each other? Yeah, yeah. Something that's funny is that I have a different dialect in each one of my group chats, depending yes. on the friend. Yes. And I don't know if other people have this, I but do the too. way that I text people is totally different. Yes. Okay. That's always made me feel really like a creep. <laughs> but I... No, I think it's very like normal. Yeah, I think it is too. And I also have found that like the way that I... Some of the ways that I stretch is communicating across different mediums with my friends Mm. so like I have a friend that has two small adorable perfect sons and um she is a young mother and a mother of young children and so we mostly communicate over snapchat um because she can send me videos of whatever's happening right in front of her versus like being on a call where she can't really hear me respond (laughs) yeah yeah um Because she's, like, doing something else or whatever. Um, Whereas, like, you and I are the only friends of mine that I regularly FaceTime with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a friend uh, from college who I almost always call. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, like, the way that those things shake out and um, how they're different friendship to friendship. Well, and speaking of the, like, different dialect... I've always thought of it as me learning that other person's language so that I can speak to them in the the language that makes the most sense to them. Mm -hmm. And so that's like another way that I try to like communicate on their preferred platform, so to speak, where it's like, I, I want them to know that I'm paying attention to the way they talk enough that I'm like mirroring it back to them as like a love language. Whatever. I'm making the effort to make you comfortable and I'm making the effort to communicate with you on your terms. Yeah. Yeah. There was this, brief period of my life where one of my best friends and I were seeing the same therapist not together but just separately and the therapist remarked on the fact that we have the same gestures and I was like guess whose they were first hers I stole them (laughs) (laughs) I stole them oh my god and I always thought of it as like being like kind of 
not having a great sense of self so that I would like borrow other people's characteristics. But my friend was like, no, I think it's just that you're very empathetic. And so you're, you're like nearing what that other person is doing because you're like in the experience with them, which I was like, that's a very gentle way of saying that I'm a sociopath. I think <laughs> <but> I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for more on sociopaths and psychopaths, see episode three. <laughs> and the, to see how I'm using that term incorrectly, go go back and give that. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have a question for me? Yeah, but it's something we kind of covered already, and hilariously, it's one that I don't want you to answer. The question, oh, okay, that kept coming up to me that I that feels like the most authentic question I have is, "What have I done that's hurt you?" And before you tell me, please do not tell me. <laughs> before I, before you tell me, shut your shut, fucking shut mouth. Shut your mouth, you bitch. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, what if I just like pulled a therapist? And I'm like, oh Molly God. doesn't know this, but I brought a therapist to this session. Oh my God. <laughs> You're like, you have a list oh ready God. to go. Here it is, honey. <laughs> I pulled out like a phone book worth of complaints and I was like, all right, you want to start in the A's or here's your file. Oh my Fox, God. comma, Molly. <laughs> I pull out the file. That's literally what I'm afraid of. I'm glad we can laugh at your fears. <laughs> I know. It's the only thing I know how to do. I'm like not saying anything to make it better. I'm just like making you sweat harder. I'm like, yeah, I do have one of those. I keep a running tab on every person I've ever met and the last time they wronged me. Oh God. So it's very healthy. Uh, well, I, for reasons we have already discussed, A, this is not the appropriate platform in which to talk about the hurts. But also I feel like I don't, well, you correct me if, I'm wrong, but I don't feel like we have a relationship that is strained in a way that would yeah. necessitate us talking about these things. Please confirm. <laughs> You're like, I'm getting this conversation notarized. <laughs> All right. So do you want to rate this book? Yeah. I, there was a couple of things that I, we've talked about that were some critiques. The one thing that kind of threw me off the most was they wrote it together using a dual voice. So when they were talking about things that they did together, they would say we, and then when they were talking about one, they would use their name. So Anne did this or Aminatu did this, but I found it at the beginning, especially really confusing. Not like I lost what they were trying to say, but it would throw me out of it every couple of sentences because they would switch back and forth between these two, like not different tenses, but almost. Mm, so I'm giving it a 4.5 out of five donuts. We've already discussed what donuts <gasps> mean to us. I picked that because it's our big friendship, like, mascot. So. Yeah, that is a good mascot for any friendship, mm -hmm. but especially for ours. Yeah, because ours is the uh, best, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not have a rating for this, but I'm also going to do something that's specifically related to our friendship. Mm -hmm. And I was going to do 8 out of 10 Eiffel Towers. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> Which is where we first met. Yes. C'est magnifique. But yeah, I also really liked it. I found it really encouraging to read a book that's all about friendship and not about other relationships that you can apply to friendships. Uh, and I also really enjoyed hearing the story of their friendship because they were vulnerable at times and said outright where they were having issues and how and why. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated hearing that from another long distance, long time best friend duo. Me too. I, I also loved the example of how you can get pretty broken as a friendship and come back. Because mm. I think that's, I'm always afraid that I will mess something up so badly with my friend that there won't be a way to fix it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's nice to see that, like, yes, even though you're imperfect people in this relationship, if you are both committed to fixing it, it is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to that legally binding contract. We don't have them with our friends, yeah. so it feels like it's easier for them to walk away from that relationship. But I think the truth is that if it is a long if it is a really intimate friendship mm -hmm. that that's not necessarily true legal 
or otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Emotionally is, is just as much as a binding thing as a piece of paper. Sometimes, arguably, more so. Um, my pop culture pairings, I have two because I can't help myself. And uh, the first one is a movie directed by my favorite director in the entire world, Greta Gerwig. It is called Francis Ha. It is on Netflix and it is like an hour and a half long. Maybe not even that long. It's a really short movie, but it tells the story of a friendship that always reminds me of my college roommate and longtime best friend. Uh, And it's a very sweet story between two women and what it means to keep your friendship in a lot of changing times. Uh, And I just love it a lot. And it's really adorable. So I'd recommend everybody watch that. And then my other one is Insecure, which is on HBO and stars Issa Rae. Uh, and she's awesome and hilarious, but she has a best friend on the show and they tell the story of their friendship over the course of the seasons. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that goes unsaid in their friendship that eventually starts to create a lot of tension. And so I think that it's kind of a, an interesting case study alongside a book like this, where one duo decided to deal with the issues head on and the Mm -hmm. other duo even though fictional (laughs) has decided not to uh so i find that pairing to be pretty interesting okay so there's a show on hulu called pen 15 and it's like all put together so it looks like penis and it's about this friend duo in middle school who is hitting that really awkward like 13 year old phase and they're Everyone else in the show is played by, like, 12, 13-year-olds, but the two main characters are played by women who I think are in their 20s, and they're made to look like 13-year-olds. And it's so funny and well done. And it it's just this, like, perfect, I think, study of the way it feels to be two female friends trying to navigate things like thongs and boys and maybe girls and other things. And I... I like it especially because I didn't have a best friend that, I mean, I had some friends that were like, I would have said were my best friends, but I don't have one that like stayed with me till adulthood. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so I really like watching shows about that period where there's like women who are best friends together because I kind of missed out on that. And I love seeing Mm. it like kind of living vicariously through that show. So that was a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm really, really lucky to have somebody who I uh, became best friends with at the age of like mm, 12, I think. Although she always claims it's much earlier, but she's wrong. She's, <laughs> she's not. She's correct. wrong. She listens to this podcast. And I have to I have to assert that. Um, but yeah, it is a gift when you're able to look mm-hmm. back on your life and recognize how many wonderful loving people saw you through so much yeah including puberty which we all are again at our worst at yes for real 14 and 23 (laughs) i'm kind of obsessed with those like threads that bring us back to like our history and those like like relationship ties and that's part of why our relationship is so significant is because you were like my oldest long-term friend i'm an old maid that's right that i've like stayed (laughs) with so as as much as I wish I had older ties to, like, be like, oh, my God, remember being 11 and wishing you were dead on the bus? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's such a relatable feeling. God, busing sucks. <laughs> anyway, I love that other people do have those relationships, and I'm grateful for the ones that I do have, even though it would be cool if I had, like, a, a middle school bestie. Mm, yeah. I was with some friends over the weekend, and I had a friend send me um, a photo of myself at my 20th birthday, and it was such a relic, and it was so funny to me, Uh, and I had sent it to my husband, and I said, this is why you stay friends with people for a decade or more, because they can tell you who you used to be, so you can both laugh at it. And it's really lovely when those moments happen unexpectedly. 
Yes. And with that, we have to remind you to please follow us on social media mm-hmm. at uh, RDRS digress mm-hmm. on twitter and instagram we don't have a facebook because fuck facebook yes and uh send us emails and subscribe and tell 80 of your closest friends yeah. to listen to us to and join our mlm <laughs> and if you don't have 80 friends go find them and then tell them to listen to this <laughs> With the, with the help of this book yeah. and the podcast we just created, you can definitely go find 80 more best friends. Absolutely. Even though we clearly stated that we have capacity for like five and no more, you should be able to figure that out. <laughs> That's on you. If you didn't want to be given homework, you shouldn't have li- listened to a podcast about a book. So I don't know. Ugh. That's on you. God. Okay. Well, I digress. Join us next time for more of our bullshit. <laughs> There's plenty of it. Thank you.